Welcome to Victory Church. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us, welcome. Uh, so glad that you're here. I, w- I want to kind of amen a couple of things Pastor Brian said. First of all, I want to celebrate you and the success of Circle. So you do me a favor. Would you just put your hands together and give yourself, give yourself a little celebration? All right. That, that's incredible. Incredible. I was so excited. I, our, our circle was fantastic. It was everything I was hoping it was going to be. And then I was getting reports throughout the week of everybody's circles and the excitement. And people were sending me emojis with the hard eyes and all these different things. And, and I understand some people were sick or, or schedules didn't allow them to get to their circle this week. But they'll be right back going on next week. They'll meet for four more weeks and then we'll break and have some pretty cool activities together and then get back together in the fall. So I just want to thank you as your pastor and, and as a church. Thank you for being faithful to that vision and uh, being committed to it, and I think when the time's over, I remember telling a couple people, our circle ended at eight, and we all had kids, and so we, we, we were pretty um, justified in being able to say, hey, I got to go, right? As soon as it ended, we could have been like, hey, got to get my kid to sleep. I think the first person left at like nine, and that just tells you the excitement uh, of, of the group, and here's what I know is that when you get four more weeks together, we're going to be so tight by the time that circle's over that uh, it's just going to be incredible. So I'm excited about it. And then, of course, as Pastor Brian said, I'm super pumped about mixtape and what's going to be able to happen through that series and so on. So what we're doing, as, again, Pastor Brian said, is we're in a series called Shift. And at the beginning of the year, we, we talked about how our word for 2020 as a church was the word shift. And we put together in the boards back out in the lobby, we put together a board and just kind of challenged you and what's an area of your life that you'd like to see a shift and people came down and kind of identified those different areas. And, and all throughout the year, we're going to pick moments and take three or four or five weeks, whatever it might be, and really kind of teach through those different areas that we want to see a shift in. And so, for example, shift in our faith or a shift in our family or a shift in our finances. And one of the first series or the first series that I really want to talk about uh, when it comes to shift is this, and that is shift Jesus. A lot of people put on that board that they wanted a better relationship with Jesus or, or a deeper relationship with Jesus. And I think our faith can only go in the direction as our uh, knowledge of Jesus. And so our faith is kind of led by or dictated by our knowledge of Jesus. And hear me, if we don't, we can't get life right if we have Jesus wrong, right? And I think it's important for us to get a right perspective of who he is. And so we're just going to take a couple of weeks and we're going to break down some verses where Jesus introduces himself and gives himself kind of a name or a nickname or a characteristic. And we're going to really break that down in hopes that we as a church walk away going, okay, I have a better perspective on who Jesus is. There are so many different religions and so many different traditions out there that it's very easy for you, uh, whether you were dragged to church as a child by your parents or whether you were invited by a friend or, or whatever and you went to this church or you went to that church or you were raised in this religion or that religion, it's possible that you have developed a perspective of who Jesus is. And I'm not necessarily telling you that perspective is wrong, but I want to challenge it and look at some verses and really break them down and help us get a better perspective of who Jesus is. Amen? And so today I want to look at John chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 10. If you don't have your Bibles, feel free to look on your phone. You can look with the scriptures that will be behind me. Uh, We're going to read about eight verses, verses 7 through 15. And it's going to introduce a concept, and then we're going to really break it down for the next few minutes. So John chapter 10, verse 7 through 15. And let me kind of set you up for what's happening here. Uh, Jesus is amongst a group of people, and there's two concepts going on here. Number one is people have come up with a perception of who they think he should be, 
and that perception is wrong. And he's also amongst people who have been led by what they would call false leadership or spiritual leadership. And, and Jesus one time refers to them as wolf in sheep clothing. Um, so spiritual leadership that's supposed to be a shepherd, but they're not, they don't have shepherd qualities. And so as Jesus is teaching to a group that A, has the wrong perception of him, and B, has been communicating to others the wrong perception of a spiritual leader, Jesus steps up and says this. So here we go. Uh, John chapter 10, verses 7 through 15. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. For I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Here we go. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. And then he repeats it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. All right, look at the person beside you. You've already kind of warmed up your relationship by talking about music, which you did not do faithfully. Um, and so you're about to do this faithfully. Look at them. Get, them. get eye contact, all right? I need you to tell them the title of today's message. You ready? Tell them, say, allow me to reintroduce myself. If you said it like Jay-Z, you get extra points, Okay. <laughs> If you were like, allow me to reintroduce myself. Did any of y'all do that? No? Anybody? Let's try it again, and I want you to do it as your Jay-Z, okay? So, so first of all, go like, yo, get, 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 kind of a, get kind of a hoodness to you, all right? And here's how he said it. I'm going to preference you so that you're ready. He said, allow me to reintroduce myself, all right? You got it? Now, go. Oh, come on. That's what I'm talking about. Mixtape has arrived, baby. We are here. Beyonce would be so happy. She'd be like, oh, that's my boo. It's just incredible. Um, you know, I, I'm a, how many of you believe first impressions is a big deal? You believe first impressions are a big deal? Uh, I may have shared you this story before, but I'm still bitter, so I'm going to share it again. Uh, when, when Darla and I were beginning to date, I'm not really sure we were dating. I don't really know what we were at the time, but I was interested in her. I'm not sure if she was interested in me, but she was pretending like she was. Um, but she, she had a softball game. She played for a church softball league, and I wanted to go to the game to support her and see her and get my, in the words of 19, probably, I don't know when it was, let's just say, let's say 2003, I wanted to get my Mac on. <laughs> right? Teenagers are like, what? I'm not talking about a McDonald's hamburger. I'm talking about, never mind. Okay, so, um, so we're at the ball game, and, and, and I, I found this out later that her parents were at the ball game as well. And so I rode up to the game with my buddy Addison, and, and she never introduced me to her parents. Like, they were there. They were on the same bleachers, and she did not even bother to mention that I existed or that they existed. She, she played the game, and when the game was over, she left. She got into her Dodge pickup and left. And we talked about it a little bit later on, and she started talking about how she didn't want me to make the wrong first impression, because let me, let me just give you, this, this is what I looked like that day, okay? First of all, I had on some icy Air Force Ones, okay? That means that they're clean. They're very white. They don't have any, you know, 
stuff on them, mud on them, um, icy clean. I had on those like baggy jean shorts. You know what I'm talking about? Do y'all remember when that was a thing? Like now, yeah, now it's a matter of trying to get them as high and as tight as you can. But, but you used to, it was real baggy and it was kind of, you know, it was jeans. I had on a long white tee because that's what you did with one of those chains that you get from the middle of the mall. You know what I'm talking about? Where when you go to buy it, they're like, that'd be $100. You're like, I'll give you five. And they're like, okay. You know, like that's how I had one of those. Um, I had hoop earrings in both ears. And then I, I think we hit a spot. You know what I mean? So a little tender over there. Uh, I had a diamond piercing earring up here in my cartilage. And, and, uh, and I had a basket or a baseball hat on backwards, okay? Because my idol was Eminem at the time, and that's who I wanted to be. And so, she, and Darla drove a Dodge pickup truck. She was a country girl. And she just clearly said to me, I didn't want you to make the wrong first impression. I get it now. I understand now. Looking back, you know, luckily we got married and her parents love me now. But I could understand how if had I introduced myself that day and my introduction been wrong, that could have had an effect on the rest of our relationship, right? And I think it's the same way with Jesus. If you're introduced to Jesus wrong, then it has an effect on the rest of your relationship with him. And I think it's important for you to be reintroduced to who Jesus really is. And that's what Jesus is doing in John 10. As a matter of fact, he does it all throughout the New Testament multiple times, multiple times. And we'll talk again about a couple more names throughout the next couple weeks. But he gives names all the time of this, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is who I am, trying to help uh, describe to people that this is really the perception we should have when we think of Jesus. And so Jesus brings out this concept. He says, I am the good shepherd. That's the way he reintroduces himself to the people that are around. Now, here's the problem when we read that is to us, good shepherd doesn't mean a lot because we live in a culture today that's not real heavy on shepherds, right? Like none of y'all were driving here today and we're like, oh, look at that shepherd handling those sheep. Like that's not happening today. That's, that's not a common thing. So when you hear shepherd, it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other and doesn't really have much value or weight to it. But Jesus was saying a lot when he told them those simple words, I am the good shepherd. He was communicating so much to those people at the time that, again, it was giving them a perspective of who he was. And so I want to take those few verses and I want to break them down. And today, in just a few minutes, I want to give you three things that Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, there are three things that he was saying he would do. Three things, that, three ways he was describing himself to those people and the three ways he's describing himself to us today. You ready? So when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, the first thing he was saying was this, I'll protect you. The very first thing he was telling them, I'll protect you. John chapter 10, verse 7 through 9 said this, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Now let me explain to you right there, he is saying, I am the only way to heaven. He is saying through the name of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he'll make on the cross, I am the only way to heaven. There is no other way to heaven. That He is clearly saying that, all right? But then he goes on and says something else that, again, to people who are familiar with shepherds and familiar with sheep, this has a great point to it. He says they, they being us, I'll explain that in a minute, will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So Jesus starts off talking about himself. And then he includes two new characters to the story. Number one is the sheep, and that is us. Look at the person beside you say, you're a sheep. Now I go, bah. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I just wanted to see how many of y'all would do it. 
see if y'all were committed on this day. So, so, so you're the sheep, we are the sheep, and then he introduces the thief or the wolf or the devil or the enemy, whatever name you want to give him. So he introduces us, he introduces him, and he introduces the enemy. Because here's what he's trying to let us understand. Wherever there are sheep, there will always be a wolf. Wherever there's sheep, there will always be a wolf. But here's what I think is so interesting about these verses. Jesus does include the thief. He does include the wolf, that he's here to steal, kill, and destroy. But before he ever mentions the wolf, he literally lays out for us a verse that identifies the safety and the freedom of the sheep. Did you see that? He said they will go in and out and find pasture. Now let me help you kind of get a picture of this moment. There would have been a sheep pen at that time. So imagine a massive circle, maybe out of some type of fencing wood, and then there's like an opening here at the front, all right? So you got this massive circle, and then you got an opening here at the front, and here's where all the sheep uh, sleep and, and all that. And then what he's saying is that they freely can come from the, from the sheep pen and go out, and find pasture. They can eat some grass, they can drink some water, and they can freely come back. And then they can go back out, and they can come back in. And they can go back out, and they can come back in. And he was explaining to us the safety that the sheep feel before he ever mentioned the enemy. And here's why I believe he was saying that. He wanted us to understand this, that the sheep feel safe not because the wolf respects the sheep, but because the wolf fears the shepherd. That's important for us to catch. There's a, let me start off by saying this. There, it's not when or it's not if a wolf comes. It's when the wolf comes, right? Like Jesus never gives it an, an option or maybe you'll have an enemy. Like there is an enemy. But Jesus is explaining to us how safe we should feel, we being the sheep. And what he's trying to explain to us is that the safety that we feel is not because the wolf respects us, Okay. I don't care how many Bible verses you read. I don't care how spiritual you feel. The enemy will never respect you. He fears God. He fears the shepherd. Think about it. Go, try to put yourself in a place where there are actual sheep and an actual wolf trying to get the sheep, right? There's no moment where the wolf is like looking at the sheep going, oh, no, that one looks like he's got some muscles. Like there's never a moment there. The wolf is going after the sheep and then sees the shepherd and goes, oh, wait a minute. Can't, can't mess with them now. We'll wait until the shepherd's not there, right? It's that kind of concept. And Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd. And the wolf will fear you, not because he respects you, but because he fears your shepherd. When I started reading about this, I instantly started thinking about this cartoon that I used to watch as a kid. I don't know if y'all guys, if y'all remember this. It was about Sam the shepherd dog, and I think his name's Fred the wolf. Do y'all remember that? Do we have, I think I have a picture. Do I have a, y'all remember this? Y'all remember this? Okay, so, so this is Sam the shepherd dog, and this, these are the wolves. Now, I don't know why the wolves look like Wile E. Coyote, okay? It just is what it is. But I just remembered this growing up, and it was so funny because no matter what these guys did, the shepherd dog was always there to protect them, right? And there were times where the, the wolf would come dressed as a sheep dog, and I was watching all kinds of videos. I call it uh, Bible study. But I was watching a whole bunch of cartoons, and he's grabbing the wolf and punching him. And this was the picture I had, that when the wolf is coming after me, I've got a shepherd who's ready to protect me, right? So, so hand me, hand me that, that uh, staff that's under you right there. Now, you can take that picture off. Now, an actual shepherd, actual shepherd looks more like, like this, right? Not like the dog, but like you can take that picture down. There's no way they're going to be able to focus with that. Um, 
But, but you got a shepherd, and then they have this, like, staff concept. It could be a staff. It could be a crook, whatever you want to call it. But this is, this is when you see an actual shepherd, this is what they'll have on them. And there's multiple reasons why they would have this. One of the reasons I was reading about is they will use it to pull the fur back from a, a sheep and be able to look at their skin and see if their skin's infected or has bites or anything. Uh, there, there's one reason that if a sheep goes, that's one of the hooks here. Any of y'all watch Apollo? You know what I'm talking about? Any of y'all watch Apollo? Remember they pull people off the stage with this, right? That's why I got this, so I could pull Jamal and Pastor Brian off stage when I need to. No, oh, wow, that joke died. Okay, um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so, so, they, so if a sheep starts to wonder, they would just kind of grab the sheep and pull it back to place. And then, of course, it's there in case a wolf was to come up. They could just, wow, right? They just knocked the wolf. And it was so interesting to me because I was thinking about this, and I'm looking at this book that I'm reading, and it's got a picture of a shepherd with this. And I thought, you know, it's funny because in times we get such a wrong perspective of Jesus that we walk away seeing Jesus more as a disciplinary figure than as a protector, right? And, and we focus so much on Jesus being the one that's pulling us back and stopping us from being able to, to do anything, right? We go to do something, and Jesus is like, no, get back here. You can't do that. And it becomes more disciplinary. Or, or maybe he's going to bust our heads with this. And we start to see a picture of Jesus. If When he says, I'm a shepherd, we see him like this, but we see him as a disciplinary figure. H- how many of you got spankings growing up, right? All right, so... so I'm pretty sure my parents were borderline child abusive. You know what I mean? Like, like you know it's bad when not only, can, not only they can spank you, but the next door neighbor can spank you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if the police was driving by, they can spank you. Like, at some point, it's just wrong. Um, it, nowadays, I see kids, their, their punishment, I saw this other day, and this happens to my kids a lot, their punishment is to get their phone taken away. Y'all seen that? First of all, can we talk about how the phone was when I was a kid? You ain't taking it away because it's attached to the wall. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you just got that rotary thing where you're just like, one, and then like, somebody said, I'm going to take it away. Say, take it. I don't care, right? I don't know how to dial my friend's phone numbers anyway. Take my phone. Now, we don't, we don't spank them anymore. We take away the phones. Or, I was thinking about this, we do timeout, right? How many of y'all, you do timeout now, right? When I was little, timeout was the time in between two spankings. You know what I'm talking about? It was the time where you can't quite breathe. You know what I'm talking about? So, so I'll give you the picture. Like somebody would be spanking, like, bow, and you're like, you know, remember that? Like you didn't say anything. It was just like that. That was timeout. That's what that was. That was like, so you got timeout and a spanking at the same time. And, and so I think what happens, especially my generation and generations above us, is because we're so used to that being the picture of a disciplinarian that when we think about Jesus being the shepherd, we see this as more of something to punish us than as something to protect us. But it's interesting because in Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms David ever wrote, David begins to talk about Christ as a shepherd, God as a shepherd. And he says this, he says, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, and then watch this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I got a new picture of that when I read that this week because if, Hear me, if, if, your, if your perspective of Jesus is that he is all about punishment, then I understand it would be hard for you to read that your rod and staff, they comfort me. I mean, when's the last time you said, Dad, Mom, just want you to know, your belt and your paddle, they comfort me. You know what I mean? Like, you don't say that, right? And so then when we read that, is there's a little bit of confusion. But again, it has to do with your perspective of Jesus. Because watch this. If your angle of Christ 
For example, you looking at me, if you're looking from this angle, I could see where you think this might be a tool of punishment. But watch this. If you're from this angle and there are wolves or enemy this direction, now you can see how it's a weapon of protection, right? So again, it's all about your perspective of Jesus. So Jesus starts right off the bat going, hey, I'm your shepherd. I'm here to protect you. I'm not here to punish you. I think sometimes we get so caught up on this hook concept being that God doesn't want us to have fun. And what God is saying is I'm, sometimes I'm directing you from things that you don't want to get into because it's going to get you hurt. And so I'm protecting you. And again, I just think it's important for us to catch the right perspective of who he is, that when he says I'm the good shepherd, he says I'm here and I'll protect you. Here's the next thing Jesus is saying when he says I'm the good shepherd. He's saying I'll comfort you. So first, I'll protect you. I'll keep you from harm. I'll keep you from pain. Second, I'll comfort you. Now, for those of you that go, hey, you say Jesus is going to protect me and keep me from pain, but he hasn't, point two is going to be very important for you. Because sometimes Christ the shepherd does protect you from your problems. You don't know about them because he protected you from them. But sometimes you still experience those problems, and that's when he becomes a comforter. So watch this. In that same Psalm, chapter 23, or Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, David writes this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he refreshes my soul. When you first read that, it kind of sounds like Jesus is forcing us to lay down. Like when I first read that, he makes me lie down. I imagine, do any of y'all got pets? And you know how when they pee in the house and you punish them and you go and rub their face in it? You know what I'm talking about? That's, that's, that's the picture I got. Like he makes me lie down in green pastures. And once again, my perspective was wrong. And I was getting a wrong picture of that and what Jesus does when he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I read a book a while back called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And it's an actual shepherd who wrote a book after reading Psalm 23 and writing all the concepts of it and, and what, what this meant and what that meant. And he starts talking about the verse that says he makes them lie down in green pastures. And he says that in order to make a sheep lie down, there has to be four things. He says that, there, he says that it's almost impossible to get a sheep to lay down. But to get a sheep to lay down, there has to be four things. He says it has to be free from fear. It has to be free from pain. It has to be free from hunger. And it has to be free from uh, issues with other sheep. So once it has no fear, no hunger, no pain, and no problem with other sheep, then it has the peace to lay down. And the more I read that book, the author, Philip Keller, here's what he said. He said, there's never really a moment where the sheep is at complete peace. Because there's never really a moment where the sheep could be without hunger, without pain, without fear, and without a problem with other sheep. So what happens is it's more the shepherd gives them peace instead of their circumstance. So when it says my shepherd makes me lie down, it's not saying that he forcefully pushes you down to the ground. It's saying he gives you peace even though your situation isn't peaceful. Okay? So when he makes you lie down, here's what it says. The only way we will find peace is to look for it in our shepherd and not in our situation. There's something in us that says that if we can get the right circumstance, then we can feel comfortable, right? If I can just get my situation right, then I can find peace. Well, you know what? I feel the same way the sheep do. If you can get me to a place where I'm not hungry, if you can get me to a place where I don't have any problems with other people, if I have no fear and I have no pain, I can get pretty comfortable too, right? Right? 
I don't know about you, I've never had a day like that. Like, it's just, there's always going to be something. And if we're in a place where our comfort has to rely on our circumstance, then we're going to be in a lot of trouble. But here's what we do. We come up with this thing in our mind like, well, if, if this can happen, then I'll be comfortable. Right? So let me take you through your day. You wake up. You wake up a little late. Right? The alarm's going off. You're getting up. You're getting dressed. You don't like the outfit you have on. So you have seven outfits on your bed that you tried on. Your hair won't work right. Right? You're just having one of those mornings. And you say to yourself, if I can just get in the car. Right? If I can just get in the car and get headed to work. I'll, I'll, I'll be comfortable. I'll, I'll have some peace. And then you get in the car and you hit Nashville morning traffic, right? And, and now things just got 10 times worse. And you say to yourself, if I can just get to my job, if I can just get to my job, if I can just get to my job, I'll have comfort, I'll have peace. And then you walk into your job and they go, emergency meeting. And you go into a meeting and you find out they have budget cuts, right? And so now you're going, oh, if I can just get off work, if, if the work day would just be done, if I could just get back in my car, I would be at peace, I would be at comfort, and you get in your car, and now you're at three o'clock Nashville traffic, right, and so now you're like, if I could just get home, if I could just get home, man, if I could just, if once I get home, ooh, once I get home, I'm gonna be, it's gonna be comfortable, I'm gonna find peace, and you walk in the door, and your kids are acting crazy, right, and they're throwing fits, because that's just what they do, and the house is a mess, and you know that you, you should have got dinner on the way home, and you forgot, and now you got to cook. And here's what you do. You go, if I could just get the kids to bed, right? If I could just, ooh, thank you, Jesus. I felt, did you feel the Holy Spirit in that moment? <laughs> we should just all, they're, look, they're taking, let's all go now, right? We kids got them. They won't know. They'll find out in about a couple hours. But, but it's just, if I could just get them in the bed. And then if, if you know, my, my wife's concept is if I can just get them in the bed, I'll just run a bath, right? And, and so you, you try to run a bath, and they keep busting the door every time. Why you say, Mom, Dad, I, I, saw, I saw a shadow in the room. Like, shut up! Go to bed! You know what I mean? If you could just get them in bed. But it doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. You keep doing this concept of if I could just... But it doesn't work, does it? Let me help you out. Those of you that want to have kids, let me help you out. If you decide to have kids, you will no longer find peace in the bathroom anymore. Am I right, church? You can't even be on the toilet and find peace. They're just busting. What you doing? It's like, what does it look like I'm doing? Like, leave me alone. Like, it's just, it's not going to happen. If we're constantly looking for our comfort and our circumstance, listen to me. There's always going to be a problem. There's always going to be a person. There's always going to be a pain. And there's always going to be a pace that makes us discomfort or, or, or brings us discomfort when we're trying to find comfort. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm your shepherd. And so I'll bring you comfort when your circumstances are not comfortable I, I had one of the hardest weeks I've probably ever had in my life this past week. It was just, it was crazy. And, and if you are on social media, you know a lot of it. Had some something happen to my daughter on Sunday that was pretty drastic. And we were with some friends eating lunch when it happened. And one of our friends got in a car accident after we left the, the food place to go uh, tend to my daughter. And then Monday, had a friend call me and, and had an issue wrong with his car. And then Tuesday, I had a friend call me, and he had lost his job. And then Wednesday, I had a friend call me, and they had an issue with their job. And it was just every day was something. It, it, I had stuff going on both professionally because the week was busy and there was a lot going on. And I had a lot going on personally. It was just, I mean, literally, I was naming it. I woke up on Friday morning. And I was like, what's it going to be today, right? Like, like, let me just, what, what could it possibly be today? 
and it's just one of those weeks. Y'all ever had one of those weeks? You know what I'm talking about? I'm just trying to wake up for a second and figure out who I'm talking to. Where you just, you keep trying to find comfort in something, but there's always going to be a pain. There's always going to be a person. There's always going to be a pace. There's always going to be a problem that takes you out of your comfort. And I love this because in the middle of my week, as I'm going through all of this and I'm like, this is insane, Pastor Brian calls me. Here's what he says. He says, hey, man, I got the word of the Lord for you today. I said, let me hear it. He said, even if you read your Bible every day, even if you pray every day, even if you serve in the church, even if you tithe, he said, shoot, even if you're the pastor of the church, you are not exempt from life. I was like, my goodness. That is so true. Am I right? Like, it just, anybody have life happen to them this week? Just have it happen. Like, and you know what I love about life? Life doesn't like, like, hey, I'm going to get with you on your schedule. Tuesday I'm going to happen. Is that good with you? Right? It doesn't happen. You're just sitting there and boom, there it is. And that's what I'm saying. The problem is so many of us want to find our comfort in our circumstance. But our circumstance is forever changing. And our circumstance can move like that. And if we put our comfort in our circumstance, then as moment our circumstance shift, there goes our comfort. And so I wanted this, if there was anything I wanted you to get out of today's message, because this is really what was heavy on my heart, this was the perspective shift. You ready? I wrote it down so I don't forget it. Sometimes, sometimes we can have peace, not because the shepherd delivered us from our trouble, watch this, but he was present with us in our trouble. All right, now I'm going to break that down. And when we break this down, if y'all don't shout, like, I mean, it needs to be 1995 Pentecostal, like, church where half of us are standing outside because there's not room. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so, so I want to show you something. I'm going to show you what I mean by this biblically because this is where the perspective shift happened for me. And it happens in John 10. Watch this. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, what? Lays down his life for the sheep. Now, I get it. You get it. We get it. There is a parallel there to Christ being on the cross and sacrificing his life for our sins, right? Right? Y'all understand that. Most people preach that verse, and that's what it is. And we get it. It's powerful. Thank God for it. We'll talk about it in a minute. But Philip Keller says there's something else in that verse that if you aren't a shepherd or you're not familiar with the concept of keeping sheep, you will miss what Jesus is saying when he says it. Here's what Philip Keller says. He says, when you look at a sheep pen, it goes in a full circle, but there is an opening at the end. So inside is the safe area where the sheep are, and outside is where the wolves are. And he said, if literally his words, he said, if it is a good shepherd, he will lay down in the opening of the sheep pen. Okay? So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm a good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Yes, I'm going to climb up on the cross and be crucified for your sins. Yes. But even in the midst of your day-to-day, when you are doing your everyday life and when you're trying to work and pay the bills and raise the kids and all anxiety and all depression and all danger is lurking right outside, he won't be above looking over. He'll be right inside of it with you. Right? Isn't that incredible? This moment where Jesus is saying, I don't need you to put up a fence or a gate. I'm here. So anything out there has to go through me to be able to get to you. And if it gets to you, 
I've let it go past me because I know you can stand out from under it. And regardless, I'm here with you. I'm in it with you. So here's the perspective shift. What if Christ being our shepherd isn't always about him taking us out of our trouble, but being with us while we're in it? Right? I was thinking about this as I was prepping this message. And it made me think about a story in the Old Testament. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. But it's about three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And there's this whole moment. And, and, and what ends up happening, King Nebuchadnezzar ends up putting them into this furnace. And he starts turning up the furnace really hot. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in, for example, hot works and that pocket of hell. But... Um, <laughs> Any kind of sauna, if y'all do the sauna at the gym and what that must feel like. So now the heat's turned up extra high. And when you read that, if you have the wrong perspective of God, you might go, well, why hasn't God delivered them from it? He should just take them out of it. And sometimes he does. And hear me, there's been a lot of times where God has just taken you out of something. You're not grateful because you didn't know it. But God saw it coming and he snatched you out of it. You went left when you should have went right. You answered the phone and you left the house five minutes late. You shouldn't have. You were mad at your spouse because you were late. It saved your life. God just protects you sometimes. But sometimes God doesn't protect you by taking you out of it. Sometimes God protects you by standing in it with you. And so there's a moment where King Nebuchadnezzar is looking into the furnace and he's like, wait a minute. I thought we put three guys in the fire. And they go, yeah, we did. And he goes, well, I see a fourth one. And it kind of looks like the son of God. And what it was was a moment where you're understanding that Jesus didn't come to take them out of the furnace. Jesus just went into it with them. And I'm just wondering if I got anybody that says, hey, I've been in a furnace for a little bit. I've had some moments where I feel like the world just keeps turning it up. And I need to understand that God is not going to take you out of it. But he is faithfully with you in it. And what I loved about the verses, it says they walked out and they didn't even smell like smoke. Because they were in it. But they were in it with him. And this is the concept that I want us to understand if we're going to get a picture of Jesus. Is that he's not there to punish you. He's there to protect you. And he's not just there to go, well, you shouldn't have done that. I hope you survive through it. Jesus climbs down and lays down in it with you. And says, I'm here to comfort you. I think Christ has got a bad name. Because things happen in a way that we don't think they should happen. And we go, God didn't stop that, so he must not love me. I don't think God ever promised to stop everything. But he he promised to never leave you alone in it. And I know you don't get it now. We've talked before around here with some of our leaders that a lot of times you see God's best work in reverse. Because a lot of times what you're going through, you don't understand why you have to go through it. But once you go through it and you look back, you realize that Christ was with you while you were in it. And so he kept you from real harm, but it taught you something. Right? I I started telling you that at the end of my, or the beginning of my week, something happened to my daughter. And I, I spent the whole Monday in prayer, praising God. I mean, to tears, praising God. And here was the reason. It could have been so much worse. But I'm a firm believer that while what she was going through was happening, Jesus was right there with her. 
I'm just convinced of it. And I remember telling somebody, I said, hey, at the end of the day, she just got a cool story. Y'all seen that shirt? Cool story, bro. Like at the end of the day, you just get a cool story. That's my God, that I can be in the middle of something, but because you're my shepherd, instead of it taking my life at the end of it, I just get a cool story, right? Matter of fact, I think it was Pastor Brian who said, well, you were just running out of preacher material. Fine, because I know that Jesus the shepherd is there to protect and comfort, right? Last thing he means when he says, I'm the good shepherd, is he means I'll rescue you. I'll rescue you. I don't have it on the screen, but in those original verses in verse 10, he says that the hired hand will run away um, and the wolf will come and make the sheep scatter because the hired hand does not care for the sheep like the shepherd. Do you remember us reading that? So in a minute, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is going to introduce a parable or an illustration. And what Jesus is doing is he is making the connection of relationship between shepherd and sheep. See, right now we've just been talking about shepherd and sheep as if it's like, I'll protect you, you know, I'll help you. But Jesus is about to make a twist and a turn where now it's about relationship to the point that where he says the hired hand doesn't care for the sheep, but the shepherd cares for the sheep. Not, not, not just like waits hand and foot, but loves the sheep. The hired hand doesn't love the sheep. So when something happens, the hired hand's got to go, right? But the shepherd loves the sheep. So then in Luke 15, Jesus gives us a different illustration. It's a different verse in a different book of the Bible, but it's the same concept of showing you shepherd and sheep and relationships. So watch this. Luke 15, verses 3 through 6. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has 100 sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Let's pause there for a second. Right off the bat, catch that. Who's the sheep? try it again. Wake up. Who's the sheep? We are. are. Who's the shepherd? He is. So he says, if you were to lose one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 and go after the one that he's lost? Here's what that means. Whether you're visiting today, whether you hadn't been to church in a long time, whether you've been here for a few weeks and you're still trying to figure out is victory a real thing or is this some kind of show and you're trying to grasp on it, listen to me. To you, he loves you so much that he will leave all of us as long as we're okay and go search for you until he finds you. Which tells me that Victory Church isn't about us. It's about the lost sheep. Am I right? This, this, it's a searching party is what this is. He says, hey, I will leave the 99 and go look until, here's my favorite part, until he what? Finds them. Until he find, now that's a whole other message. I'm not going to go too far on that because that's not what I want to talk about. But just for a second, I wanted you to catch that. In case you've been told before, here's what I think I might preach next week. I feel like we've been told that we need to try harder, right? You just need to be better. But when I read that, it's not about my performance. It's about the love Jesus has for me, that he goes and chases me, right, finds me until he finds me. But again, we'll come back. If you want to come back next week, we'll see where that goes. Here we go. And when he finds it, Because he's going to search for it until he finds it, right? When he finds it, I need you to say this. I know you might be in church like, I don't like talking. You made me talk four or five times. But but this is just one of those sermons where if you don't get it the way God gave it to me, we wasted our time. Okay? So read this with me. So when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. All right, I'm going to break this down for you. Casey Ray was in Memphis for a week, seven days. 
Yesterday she came home. My mother and my sister brought her back to us. Uh, we were in the house, and I could hear her outside of our front door talking. And I could hear her going, you know, they're home, they're home, because Darla and I were at the gym. And so so uh, I come over to the door, and I unlocked the door, and I opened it, and I stepped back. And she went, Dad! And took off running and jumped into my arms. And I got spun her around, and then I took her back to where Darla was, and Darla was like, is that my baby? And she was like, Mom! And she ran, and I've been, again, I'd been studying this, and Jesus is like, that's it. That's the scripture lived out in person for you, that when I find you, it's not the concept of, where you been? Get your butt in here. Right? Because we've all lived that. My dad spanked me as I'm walking. You know, I'm just, I'm, what, what's wrong? And that's the picture we've got of Jesus. And Jesus is like, what's wrong with you? Get in here. And Jesus is saying, no, no. When I find you, it's this moment of reunion of like, you! <laughs> and you're like, Jesus! And there's just this moment, and it's great, and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, but I don't quite, I don't quite see it that way. And let me tell you why. You have that first picture of Jesus in the sheet for me? How many of you have seen a picture like this before? Right? Let me tell you what's wrong about this picture. I don't know if Jesus looks like this. That's not my concern. My concern is this thing right here. You see how cute that thing is? I'm not a dog person or an animal person, period. But you bring a cute animal to me and I'm like, oh, let me hold it, right? Because it's so cute. And so these are the kind of pictures I was raised up on. Now, again, I wasn't saved, but I would see them in churches that y'all went to. And when I see stuff like that, I'm like, I ain't gonna lie to you. That's real easy. Right? It's not much work for Jesus to be holding some cute little lamb. I mean, that's, I, I'd hold that. It's adorable. And so what happens is we end up, watch this, comparing ourselves to this. And when somebody says, Jesus says, you're like, you start looking at that going, well, I'm, I'm not that. I'm not, I'm not that. My story's a little different. Have you ever seen an actual sheep? They are ugly. I got a real picture. Look at this one. Can, help me with that. They're dumb. Dang near blind. I was reading up on them. They have like gnats and flies and all of that, right? Dirty. They're so stupid. They just walk in the mud. And then I did all muddy. And so watch this. Here's where the perspective happens. You read, put that verse back up for me. I'm sorry. Put that verse back up for me in, in, in uh, Luke. Right, right. He joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. If your perspective of Jesus was the first picture, then that statement doesn't mean much to you. Because anybody can pick that cute little thing up. But if you start seeing the real concept of a sheep, and that it's dirty and ugly and got bugs on it. And watch this. Not only does he, how does he pick it up? Joyfully. But here's my part that so many people miss. He puts it where? On his shoulders. I like clothes, okay? I like my clothes to be clean. So if somebody is around me and they are dirty, 
I would prefer not to touch them until they are clean, right? Because if I touch you with my clean clothes and you're dirty, what's going to happen to my clean clothes? They're dirty. If he picks up a dirty, bug-infested sheep and puts it on his shoulders, what's going to happen? It's going to make him dirty, isn't it? He's going to be smacking bugs. This is the picture of Jesus. Smacking your bugs away. Your dirt dripping all over his pretty robe. And yet the writer made sure to put in that he's joyful about it. He's not. My father told me I got to die for you. You're so stupid. Just excited. Excited that you came home. So when he says, hey, I'm your shepherd. Number one, he's saying, I'm here to protect you. I'm here to do my best to keep you from doing things you shouldn't do that are going to end up putting you in places you don't want to be. Number two, I'm here to comfort you. I'm not always going to take you out of your situation, but I will always be with you in your situation. And then number three, I'm here to rescue you. And I don't do it from a distance. And I don't do it out of obligation. But I do it joyfully. Because unlike the hired hand, I love you, I care for you. You are my child. And so I thought it'd be a cool way to kick this series off just by saying, hey, what is your perspective of Jesus? Before you came here today, what was your thought pattern of him? And when somebody says the name Jesus, what thoughts come to your head? Today and over the next two weeks, I just want to take some verses and I want to help adjust what happens in your mind when you hear the words Jesus and when you hear the name that is above any name name that has no rival, the name that brings forever change, the name of he who gave his life for you, the name of he who lies right there in the sheep pen comforting you, the very name who no matter what you do, no matter how many bugs you have on you, and no matter how dirty you get, chases you down until he finds you. Every one of us in here, we got a story, right? When he was chasing us, but we weren't stopping. But you're here today because he kept chasing you until he found you. And if there was any message he'd want you to understand, it'd be that he joyfully picks you up, puts you on his shoulders. And you catch that he takes you home? Sheep don't have a GPS system. They're, they're really dumb in that, so they'll just walk right off a cliff and die. And so it's the shepherd that has to lead them home. And so Jesus says, hey, when the 99 are marching and that one starts to wonder, I'll, I don't go, oh, leave him behind, he's an idiot. Joyfully chase him down. I pick him up and then I take him home.
That's Jesus. He's the good shepherd. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that that's exactly who you are in my life. I think about all the times you protected me, all the times you comforted me, and all the times you rescued me. And Lord, my only heart behind this message was for just one individual who would say, you know what, the way I was raised, I always saw Jesus differently. My mom said this, my dad said that, my old pastor said this, I was raised this way. God, I'm just a believer that there are a lot of people out there trying to have a relationship with you and they are not 100% sure exactly how you operate. So I thank you for a word, a word like this, where we are reminded of a lot of things, your protection, your comfort, all of those things. But above all of that, we are reminded of your love for us and the fact that you, a holy God, a sinless God, would take us upon you on that cross. And because you take on our dirty lives, Lord, our sin becomes white as snow as you carry us home. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for every person in this room. Uh, I just pray that we would begin a perspective shift. We don't have to complete it today, but I pray it starts that every person in this room would start to see Jesus just a little bit different. They would start to see your love and the heart you have for every one of us. At the end of the day, we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.